three mornings a week, we meet before breakfast for an early morning run. We spend most of our time planning and reflecting on what's happening in our classrooms. This has become our favorite professional development. So we figured, why not share these moments with you? Welcome to Math Before Breakfast. This is episode 63. I'm Tacey Prophet. I'm Ruth Arquiaga. And I'm Jay Prophet. And this morning we are going to talk about Ruth's, I guess, edit of your least common multiple greatest common factor lesson, right? Okay. And um, we're going to talk about supporting teachers through their first steps in kind of open-ended problem solving. Right. um, And like a challenge that came up this week. And then also talk about some fractions. Yes. Fractions, my favorite. Yeah. We, right up there with dust. Can we divide right? them? Can we divide them? Sure we can. Yeah. No? That, he's shaking his head. No. That was, yeah. So, Ruth, tell us about your least common multiple, greatest common factor edit. So, for however long I've had to teach this, um, students have struggled with, it's almost like, GCF LCM word problems live in their own little word problem bank Mm -hmm. and you only use them when you're teaching GCF and LCM and so you teach them a keyword if it says what's the greatest number then you know you find the greatest common factor and then you have to remember that that means your answer is going to be smaller and all of these things that I've that I've taught mm-hmm. and it's it's just been really difficult and so this year I was like what if before we even say GCF and LCM before we even start prime factorization I just give them some problems and so I wrote um, nine different word problems on a dry erase boards all around my room and gave them manipulatives underneath it. So one of the problems was um, B's train track is 12-inch pieces and Ruth's train track is 6-inch pieces. How long would their train track be if it was the same length? You said 6 and 12? Correct. And I gave them rulers and I gave them six-inch popsicle sticks. Okay. So they had to model it. And that's how I started class. I'm not interested in necessarily if you know the answer right off the top of your head, but I want you to prove it. I want you to use the tools I've provided. And so it was funny how many of them answered that question with, what did they say? Nine. Because they wanted to take some of the 12 and break it and give it to the six. Hmm. So they were adding the numbers and dividing by two. Okay. Okay. Um, and so it was that guidance, like, no, you can't break my track. <laughs> Go back and try again. That's why I said you have to model it. Mm-hmm. And you knew you would be in trouble if you broke my 12-inch ruler to model it. So what else could you do other yeah. than break it? Um, and then there was one where there were some daffodils. I think there were 14 daffodils and 21 roses. Okay. And I just gave them foam, random foam pieces. Yeah. And said, what's the greatest number of arrangements you could make? What do you mean by that? Arrangements? Like vases. So oh. they were actually putting roses and daffodils in groups and making vases. And... I had cups over there for them to use the cups. And it was really interesting to watch how many of them knew that seven was going to go somewhere because of the 14 and the 21 and their number sense. Mm -hmm. But just like you said, what does that mean? A lot of them didn't know what the word arrangements meant. But did you say that, did you give the information that each arrangement has to have the same number of daffodils in each, each? They, yes. Okay. I did. That I just didn't. It. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and then, well, like I said, there were nine of them. And I just gave them the whole class. And so, for me, it was the support of 
how can I get you started? Or how can I guide you in a different direction? So the one that was tricky for a lot of them was um, Carrington runs every day. She bikes every three days and she swims every five days. If she did all three today, how many days will pass before she does all three again? And the resource that I gave them was a calendar. Cool. And so, you know, they had to have some guidance on what the purpose of the calendar was. But once we wrote Swim, Bike, Run in today's um, picture, then they were able to, you know, I had to walk away. I had to let them talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really interesting because a lot of them... So you get a calendar, and you don't have to necessarily write it on today, February 6th. Right. But a lot of them would write it at the beginning of the month or, like, right on the 1st. Okay. Okay, well, then on the 16th is when it all happens again. But that's really 15 days later. Yeah. And to watch some of the groups, like, why is it only 15 days? If it says 16 on my calendar and that's a real life. I've seen that so many times where kids don't understand that if you start at one and you go to 16, that's not. No, that's right. 15 days have passed. 15 days have passed. But the other place I see that is where we do this project and it says write 10 consecutive numbers and kids start at 20 and write to 30. And that's not 10 consecutive numbers. It's 11. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole like, wait a minute. Yeah. You know? <laughs> those, kinds of, those, those kinds of problems trip me up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that kind of having that conversation with you about those word problems. And then you brought up, how do I support my teacher's? Before we before we jump into mine, can I ask you if you had to do it again, would you do anything differently? That that particular lesson? Mm, I don't think so. I feel well, I'll let you know this week yeah. when we tackle it again by themselves without groups. I th- I'm going to give them access to their the tools. Like some of them really needed the foam pieces to figure out what they were doing yeah um but i'm i'm anxious to see if they have more like a a place where they can go like oh yeah this is something that i can model instead of just sitting there looking at the words trying to remember mm-hmm. what the keywords mean that's good um so i don't think so i feel like it was good it was hard you know my students would say "Ooh." I didn't like that because it really (laughs) did make them think. And something I don't do very often, but I had them rank themselves on a scale of one to five at the end of the lesson at the top of their paper. Like how confident they were? No, how hard they feel like they worked. Oh. Like, did you give up or did you really work the whole time and really talk about math the whole time? Or were you lazy and waited for someone to tell you the answer? Have you looked at your scores? I have. And I actually gave them a score in the grade book based on what they and their partner gave themselves. And it was really telling how many of their grades matched their partners because their partners were random. So I used the um, my random sticks and they. What did they have? Yeah. They had to give themselves a number and their partner a number. And a lot of times those numbers were the same. Hmm. Like my partner gave me a three. I don't even know what she gave me because she's sitting on the other side of the room. And you gave yourself a three. Interesting. Yeah. So I got an average, a percentage, and then I just gave them 10 points for that day based on what they got. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So... I've read this. I'm, I hope I don't butcher the words too too much, but you know, there's this strategy or model or whatever you call it, like 
I do, we do, you do. You've heard mm-hmm. that before. And I feel like in in the reading instruction that I've been learning about, that's very much how it's supposed to be. Like we had a, I've been talking about this literacy consultant that's come to our school and that, and she like said that over and over. That's how they, that's how they do their reading instruction and how she wanted them to do like mini lessons with the kids and stuff. But everything we are learning is talking about how that's not it in math. And there's the, I'm, I'm going to get the exact words wrong, but something like launch, let go, and discuss or something are the three that's how it's supposed to go. So it sounded like, you know, you set up the launch because you pr- probably gave them directions. And I like the materials part. That was an important part of, you know, and you picked your materials to, dependent on your problems. And then you had the let go part, which you said, you know, you tried to like let go as much as possible. Did you already do the discuss part or is that going to kind of, you feel like that's going to come so, this coming week? Yeah, that has to come this coming week. So I have all of the problems I took pictures of. I their papers that I will give back to them. And greatest common factor, least common multiple word problems are so similar. You know, instead of doing daffodils and roses, you change it to blueberries and strawberries. Mm-hmm. So... We will have that discussion. Um, today is Property Brothers Monday, so not today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Tuesday is when we're going to talk about those problems. And they are working on their factor project, which is due next Wednesday. And they have to write their own greatest common factor, least common multiple problem. Okay. I give them the numbers and they have to produce a problem. So hopefully they'll become so familiar with those that they'll be able to write one themselves. Cool. So you were headed towards talking about supporting teachers who ha- and students who haven't done kind of open-ended problems. I mean, yours are not super – these problems weren't super open-ended, I would say. But anyway, this came up because as part of I Love Math Day, we give challenges in the weeks leading up to it to sort of celebrate problem solving. This was an idea that was – you know, part of when we learned about I Love Math Day from Gary Lawrence, this was part of a big part of his I Love Math Day. And and what really one of the things that really excited me about what he did um, was getting students to share their thinking. So I wanted to implement that, too. But I've learned through this process that there are students and teachers who just haven't done this in the classroom before, you know, like an, an, an open-ended kind of problem. Maybe I should share an example of what I'm talking about. So the one, the current one says um, there are 31, I, well, let me back up and say that I used the NCTM um, a, a problem of the week, like resource. There's a huge number of problems of the week that they have. Um when you are a member and can log in, it's pretty great. So theirs was about uh, dollhouse furniture and legs and of tables and chairs. And I'm like, eh, ain't nobody in my class going to, or my school going to know about dollhouse. Like, what am I even <laughs> talking about when I say dollhouse furniture? So I took the problem structure and thought about how I could change it. So You could use a regular house. I know, but I had to make it. I also, yes, I also wanted to think about what manipulative they might use to Mm. model this problem. And I didn't want to deal with like toothpicks or, or um, popsicle sticks. So I thought about like you could use pennies or you could use, you know, bottle tops or something. And so I went to something round. Gotcha. So, so I went, so the problem says um, putt, putt, we have, we have putt, putt in our, town and our city and they are going Which to is miniature golf in case there's some part of the country where putt putt doesn't I guess. exist i don't know maybe um and it, they have a pretty cool go-kart track at our putt putt and i said that they are going to get new vehicles and they um are going to build some trikes and they're like i found a picture of a three-wheeled go-kart basically yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and um, they want to have some of these. And so they have 31 wheels and the sa- they use the same wheels for the trikes and the go-karts. And you need to tell all the combinations of trikes and go-karts, 
of carts having four wheels, um, that they can make where they use all 31 wheels up. Okay. So I gave some examples that wouldn't work. Like for example, if you did um, two trikes, that would be six wheels. There's there's no combination of go-karts that would make add, make you add up to 31. Because there's 25 wheels there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, what? I was, I'm going through the problem in my head. Trying yeah, to do you out. have some answers already? You I got one that works? One. Yeah. What, what works? Tell us. Four go-karts and one trike. That's the one I had. <laughs> <laughs> so... So that's the problem. And then and then there's an do you want to keep going? No, you, no. Want me to I'm give done. you a minute just, to solve? I was just saying because I when that number was odd, I thought, well, I'll take off three and see if the le- what's left over is a multiple yeah. of four. And it was. I won't I won't give away the answer because it's kind of a fun problem to solve. Um and then the the extra part, because that that would be fairly simple for some of our fifth graders to solve. Um I feel like it's a great problem for third graders, but it would be pretty simple. Um but the, the extra, just adding on a little bit more, is out of all the different combinations that you can come up with at work to use all 31 wheels, um, which one would make them the most money? And they, they, they're given the additional information that it that someone has to pay $2 to ride a trike and $3 for a ticket to ride the go-karts. So every time someone gets on a trike, Putt-Putt's going to make $2 on one and $3 on the other. So which one are they going to make the most money for out of the possible possible combinations? So that's the problem. There is one right answer, but there are a lot of different ways to attack it. Um, and then I think the, the place, the explanation of how do you know you have all the possible combinations is where the really good math is going to come in. You know, the really good explanation explaining and Hmm. problem solving comes into how do I know I have them all here? Well, our, our example is the most um, financially advantageous. How do you know? I guess I'm wrong. No, that's, that's not (laughs) what you should assume when a teacher asks you, how do you know? (laughs) Um, Well, I was, I mean, I haven't, I haven't done any figuring roots over here drawn on the paper. I'm not, (laughs) I was just guessing because you get more go-karts to trikes that way. Yeah. But I didn't figure it out to see if maybe if you go step in the other way, you can get more total vehicles. And if you can get more total vehicles another way, then it may hmm. offset. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it could push you over. It could make a difference if you got more total vehicles. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't done the math to figure it out whether yeah. you do or not. So I believe I found the same thing as you. The, the solution with the most go-karts made them the most money. I think I I think I can confirm that. But I hadn't thought about how if you had more vehicles that well, you could... start stepping back the number of go-karts and add more trikes, then eventually, I don't know where, but it makes sense that you would have more total vehicles. Yeah. And then maybe then, I don't know. Yeah, good thinking. All right, Ruth, what do you have to say so far? So I'm not necessarily solving it, but I'm thinking about the way that I would guide a student mm-hmm. who is just like, no, that's, that's kind of where I am. Right. Like, what like, do I, what do I do? What do I do to help a teacher who's like, I just can't get my kids to even do it. So I am sitting over here creating a table. <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> of ways to make 31. Yeah. So one and thirty one, two and twenty nine. Oh, okay. Three and twenty eight. Okay. Okay. Well, one and thirty one and two and twenty nine. I'm going to cross off because I can't make something that has one wheel. Okay. But well, now what if that you I... had like go kart unicycles. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm trying to hold on to that thing. Um, that's your title there, JJ. Go kart unicycles. Okay. <laughs> All right, done. <laughs> so maybe, I mean. I'm sitting here thinking about how long that would take a student, but also the benefit in just that math. Yeah. Nine and 22, 10 and 21. Yeah. 11. So for a student who doesn't have any kind of a attack strategy, maybe looking at all the different ways to make 21 
is a good step for them. I mean, those aren't, or make 31. I don't feel like that's too many numbers. That's not necessarily what I would do if you said they have 117 wheels. Sure, sure. Right? So I probably would produce some kind of, I would I would guide them with the table that says um, groups of wheels or, I don't know, would it, would it say go-karts and trikes? And then you would go down and you would see which ones could fit in that category. Mm-hmm. If this is your go-kart column, which one of these numbers could you make? With well, threes. Yeah. Or with fours, With I guess. fours. And so then they're looking at the pattern to find the multiples of four. Yeah. And then looking at what's on the other side. So anytime you get to a row where one of your numbers is divisible by three and one of your numbers is divisible by four, or and the other, I guess, and the other number is divisible by four, then it's going to work. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. It's different from how I solved it. So you said you made a table, or what did you I do? I made a table, but I started off with zero. I went, my table is organized by number of trikes. So I started with zero trikes, and I put right after that how many wheels that would be. And then I sort of just thought about mm. what number of um, go-karts I would need to get me close and what how many wheels, how many total go-kart wheels that would be, and then total in the last column, and sort of said yes or no, that is that is or is not going to work. And for all of them that were wrong, I went above and below the 31 in order to show I can't make 31. So on the zero on the zero trikes column, then I did seven go-karts or eight go-karts, and that's 28 wheels or 32 wheels. That kind of proves I can't make it with zero trikes. And so then I each column step, steps up one number of trikes. So I tried it with one trike and two trikes and three trikes all the way down to 11 trikes where I hit 33 wheels, which is over and over the 31 total wheels. And so then I just would say yes or no in that last column, like, yes, I have a 31 or no, I don't have a 31. So my organization was by the number of trikes. And your organization is probably better for a student who knows their fours and can do that yeah. Mentally. Yeah. But the way that this is organized, a student who isn't flexible with their facts could see the pattern of mm-hmm. every four. Yeah. And so now maybe we're going to circle the ones that will work for, we're going to circle the multiples of four. Yeah. And now we have to look at the other column and see what's left. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have thought about, what would you do or what could they do if you gave them 31 manipulatives, red and yellow counters or coins or squares or whatever? Like, what if that was, if I just said, here, here are the 31 wheels, what can you figure out? Would that be less help but still hmm. give a kid a way to get to it? So maybe I'll use this for my warm-up today. Yeah? Yeah, and see, because I have sixth graders, right? So it won't take them. It shouldn't take them near as long. But I do have some students who I could see which strategy they Mm -hmm. benefited from. Because I was picturing, like, if you gave me 30, if if I had 31, I would immediately make one trike and then see if I could group the rest into four. Into groups of fours, and I can't. So then I would, based on my strategy, mm-hmm. then I would make two trikes and see if I could take the rest and put them into groups of four. And then I would make three trikes and see if I could, you know. So maybe enough guidance, because I started with go-karts and you started with trikes, mm-hmm. is 
to have a teacher encourage a student to start with one. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just make a trike and see what's left and make two trikes and see what's left? I don't know if that's too much guidance or. It's always giving as little. The goal is to give as little help as possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And have as much of the problem solving come from them. Jay, you still working out this particular problem over there? You got, oh, yeah. you got a lot. He's got a lot of math on his paper, y'all. I'm pretty <laughs> impressed. <laughs> um, There's only three combinations. Well, you thanks for giving it away. You, we have, might have a, probably the listener who cared has already worked it out by now. <laughs> but you're right. That's what I found too. And it is, and it's each of the um, the different variations are one dollar apart. One gets you twenty one dollars. One gets you twenty two dollars, and one gets you twenty three dollars. Let me see if I got that. I, I, I typed out the answers for the teacher so they could grade the um, the, the problems. Hold on one second. Let me see if I got the same thing. Sorry, I forgot we were trying to not give it away. Yeah, we, we need to I put in so a... I was so excited that I figured spoiler it out. Spoiler alert. alert. Here comes the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking it up. I'm almost there. I will post my solution on our show notes See, I got I got 21, 22, and 24 as my... Did I do something wrong? How much did you get for the one trike and seven go-karts? 23. Because these go-karts three and each trike is two. Three times seven is 21 <laughs> plus two is 23. You're right, because I did one times two is three. <laughs> Whoops. Okay, well, that's why I said... When I sent this solution, I'm like, if anybody got anything different, let me know. <laughs> okay. That's embarrassing. All right. Thanks for checking my math there, JJ. Hey, no problem. Yeah, they are they are one away. You're right. I I remember thinking doing this last night, like, this is weird that there's not any kind of consistent I expected the differences to be consistent across them, but and I was like, Why is it not? Okay, well, it really is because I can't multiply because I can't multiply two. one times two. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me ask you one more question then. What about the writing part of it? Because there are there are students who can get the answer, mm-hmm. but then when you ask them to write, explain their thinking, and how do you know, and how do you know you have them all, and like they just won't or don't know how to um the whole part about like draw a picture and but your picture like is not just a picture of a go-kart it's a it's a model that supports your thinking you know which i don't now that i look at my solution i didn't actually make a picture i made a table um but how do you what can it what could i suggest to teachers that they do to support students in the writing part of this so that's a tough one and I'm going back to like the GCF LCM did I discuss them kind of thing it takes a long time to for students to share their thinking or write about their thinking. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just like, okay, you got it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, let's move on. Now they do have the opportunity of doing this at home. So you could, they can take their thinking home Mm -hmm. and write about it. Yeah. They have a whole week in our, in our case to, to write down their thinking. And we talk about how, you know, when we choose a winner, it's not about necessarily getting the right answer. It's about the, I mean, the folk, you can, you can not, you can not get the right answer and you could still potentially win if you had a good explanation, which I know kind of blows some people's minds. Jay Prophet is not a fan of that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's particularly in like the, how many, like guess how many, or estimate how many kind of challenge. Well, I understand know? it. <clears throat> I understand it in that you are trying to determine their, like their problem solving, like their ability to understand the problem. Right. And it's, it is, I do understand that you can like, I don't know, some, some simple math mistake, like 
not knowing how to multiply one times two. Yep. Yep. But still your description of the problem makes the most sense and you have the best comprehension of the problem. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess my, my first go-to is sample problems from other open-ended problems. Like, are the students exposed to the writing of the explanations of last year's problems? Hmm. Have they been able to read some different thinking strategies? That's I, a I good just, idea. I just think about, like, those writing... <laughs> I just remember being in those teacher workshops and getting all these samples of paragraphs that we had to like practice grading based on this writing (laughs) thing. And me as a teacher being like, wow, this is a student that could be in my class. Why don't my students write like this? Yeah. And if someone had just stood up and said, this is what you look for in a student's writing. I would have only based it on what was in my head already. Yeah. And having to look at something else really gave me something else to think about. And so if a student who is mathematically minded and just says, these are the three answers, you know. They don't know what it even looks like. To yeah. What does isolation. it look like? Or for the students who were in my word problem and I said okay great you know the answer is 15 but I need you to explain it well because three times five is 15 well why did you multiply three times five when it's the third day and the fifth day that's not groups of what is that yeah and they really couldn't but if we had if they had seen somebody else's thinking process or now that you have this calendar in front of you that's a great idea. And last year's student work is a good example of of that. Hmm. So next year I could I could do that. I could give teachers examples of student work that they could share like look here's the here's the estimating challenge from last year. Let's look at what the person did that you know. That's good. Okay. Okay. Thanks for giving me those ideas. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where I had good intentions for it to be better this year, and it wasn't yet. Just add and it to your website. Add it to my website. On my I love math. Their website. Mm-hmm. What to do next? Yeah. Okay. Shall we end with fractions? Um, both second and third grade are working on fractions right now, and. Um, all three grades mention the area model, the measurement model, and the set model in their standards. Okay, so let's talk about what those are because sometimes when you are teaching fractions, you just Google fractions mm-hmm. and those words don't come up. So an area model would be an example of what? Where you partition the region into equal parts. Okay. So, so like pizza slices. Yes. Or um brownie pans where you cut the cut it into parts or Hershey bars. Yeah. Okay. Or um my favorite are the hexagon hexagon pattern blocks being the whole and break it into break that into parts where the different pieces are parts. So that's the region or area model. Okay. The measurement or linear model is just that when it's linear um but still portions of a whole yes so cuisinier rods are generally used linearly in this context you know end to end and the 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 whole being the long whatever the long piece that you've chosen and then the other ones are parts going long ways um number lines I would say that fraction towers and fraction bars are also definitely linear because you don't use them side by side. To create a whole. Yeah, that you always go 
either up or across mm-hmm. with those. Um, okay, and then fractions of a set. Fractions of a set would be where your whole is made up of groups of objects. So um, one one out of five in a in a group of people mm-hmm. or you're looking at red and yellow counters and how many reds out of all of them, the whole group, that kind of thing. So the very first thing that we did that I did with both of those grades because they have um, you know, newer teachers than other units is be like, what are we talking about with those with those different types of fractions, of course. And I had laid out all of the fraction manipulatives that I could find in my closet and was like, okay, as we're talking about them, let's sort all these manipulatives into the right group that we're talking about. So that was hard at first, you know, for some of them, especially, um, well, that was just, yeah, thinking about the difference between the, the linear and the region, you know, because the the fraction bars, I think, could look like an area model, you know, but you oh, always sure. use them in right. the end. I'm looking up because I don't know this between a fraction bar and a fraction tower. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm using the right language, but I'm thinking of fraction tower as the ones that snap together and go up. Right. Yeah. But to me, fraction bars look a lot like Cuisinaire rods. I would say they are. They're just, ours are labeled. So that's, yeah, that's the big difference is that when you lay the orange one down, it says one third on it, where a Cusinair rod, one third could be different sets because based on what you decide your hole is. So fraction rods are. So a fraction bar, the the one is always the hole, Mm -hmm. or it always says one and it tells you one third where if you're going to make the eight Cuisinaire rod well, Go with the third, nine. Yeah, nine. Then <laughs> gotcha. the, three would the three would be, would be the. Yeah. So it's you, this one tells you what the fraction is instead of you determining it. Yep. Gotcha. So one of the next things we had to discuss was where do you start? Do you start with the fraction of a set? Do you start with the linear model? Do you start with the area model? So... My first two comments. First of all, the fraction towers could be a area model when you are you have your hole on your desk and you stack and you cover half of it or you cover a fifth of it and you figure out what's not covered. I would think that that is the Aaron an area model instead. Are you still calling that linear? Like just think about your big long rectangle. Are you calling it linear because it's not pre-partitioned? Like, does a area model have to be partitioned? I think I'm calling it linear because there's only one way to partition it, and it's mm. always up and like left to right or up and down. Okay. You know, um, the the width or whatever is not right. important in the in okay. The- process so okay. i mean it was just a question yeah so yeah i said i had two things and now the second thing is just well gone. where to start where do you area okay. what is a fraction and oh we're gonna be here a while <laughs> <laughs> i think it's important that students understand that a fraction is a number one half is a number, mm-hmm. two thirds is a number. And when we start with fractions of a set, it really does feel like two numbers because you say two out of three. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel like fractions start with the area model. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily taught with a fraction is made of two numbers i i don't know i haven't taught the beginning of Mm -hmm. fractions for such a long time that it's well and i've i mean i've never taught it because 
they've my the lowest I've ever taught is fourth grade. And so they always have some kind of understanding, even mm-hmm. if it's a misunderstanding. They're always coming to me with something. So I'm so I remember in first grade. We made we made pizzas with construction paper and. Their pizzas were a half and a fourth. Okay. And they had to put pepperoni on a half or a fourth. Now, don't ask me how I how I taught it, right? <laughs> that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago, and it was probably really bad. I probably did do everything that we've learned that we shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hmm. How many years did you teach first grade, and how long ago was that? Um, I taught first grade for four years. Okay. And that was 20 years ago. Wow. Awesome. Okay. You started there? You started Mm -hmm. in first grade? Uh, My first year I taught, I was an inclusion specialist. Sure you were. (laughs) (laughs) For first, second, and third grade classes. Wow. In this small school. So I had one teacher at each grade level. And I was in their class for every reading and every math. So I was the second teacher. Okay. And I did half of all of their report cards and I did all of their parent conferences because this was a shared position. Yeah. Oh, girl. And just the fact that I had specialists after my name meant that I knew how to meet the needs of every child in that classroom. Sure you did. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So back to first grade fractions. So, this whole idea of if we're going there, what is a fraction? Well, so wait a minute. You decide. You you agree that area model is the place to start. I think so. But but now I'm having this like thought in my head. Like, what if I gave everyone a strip of paper, a linear model, and I said, "What does this look like if we cut it in half?" Look. Can someone tell me what we have on our desk? How do we call that? What do we name it? Yeah. And that's one of the the activities that I suggested that my teachers do also is, you know, folding paper and labeling it. But I but but I was thinking of that for the linear when they got to the linear model kind of as a start for that. But what if that was your first intro and you just say that word and you see how many kids have that and then there's some kind of a a brainstorm or a thinking about where you might use that word. Mm-hmm. What if you only got to go to half of your recess? What if you had to share half of your sandwich? What if you had to walk halfway to grandma's house and she was going to meet you there? What if half of the kids in our class, yeah, you know, were wearing a jacket or something? So that you're asking the, the you're doing half in all of the different contexts. It's an interesting way to think about it, maybe. So once they have a, <clears throat> like, I think half you know, is a very, makes sense where to start or that fraction. Yeah. And then apply it like you, like you said, that makes sense to kind of get them used to the different models or whatever. And I'm thinking that they've heard the word. Sure. But they probably haven't seen the number. If you're, if we're all the way back in first grade. If we're all the way back in first grade. Yeah. Yeah. So here we have all these pictures. What's the same and what's different? Mm -hmm. I see two pieces. I see two groups. One of them is here. And so now we've written that number. Yeah. Uh, where the one and the two come from. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So then what if you also do that with a fourth? Isn't that their other word? Like, don't they have to do halves and fourths? I think halves and fourths are in first grade. Um, and, man, this makes me want to, like, go try to teach this lesson to first graders. <laughs> but I wonder what what would happen if you said, can you tear this paper into fourths? You know, are you going to have the student who's like, well, I folded it in half and then I folded it in half again? Maybe. Or are you going to have the student who just tears some off the end and then you get to have the conversation about equal pieces? Yeah, That's a great place to start in first grade, I think. Very much 
vocabulary based, right? You know, from what so they that you can know. access that prior knowledge because yeah. the, they're listening to your words rather than looking at this one slash two. Today we're going to talk about a fraction, and this is what it looks like: numerator, denominator. Yeah, you yeah. know that just feels hard. Yeah, and let's be honest. Fractions, one of the F words that we talked about, <laughs> yeah. However many lessons ago, yeah. for that fear, you know, it just produces this unnecessary. Yeah, you were fear. Where were you? I was smiling because this past weekend, Adley and I went to a play at her school, and um, they had an intermission, and we went outside and we were sitting in a chair talking to each other, um, eating Skittles. And I was, and she was trying to figure out how much longer it was going to be because we had talked initially about, you know, going to get ice cream or something afterwards. Um, and so I had said, you know, the, the first half was an hour long. And I said, the second half is usually not quite so long. And she looked at me and I was like, what? She goes, well, then they're not halves. <laughs> I said, you're right, Adelaide. That's Sorry. your kid. The first act <laughs> is, is, is was just over an hour. And the second act is almost always shorter than the first act. So... As, you know, we were trying to estimate how much time we didn't take into account announcements and how long the intermission was, you know. But it was it was funny that, you know, I was using the word halves as parts and not really true halves. I was, you know, part one and part two and act is the, the word we ended up using. But. So can I switch gears a little bit? Mm-hmm. I like I like your you challenged me there to think about how you might do it differently. So that was good. Um you know how there are these fraction number talk images where okay, let's let me picture one for everybody. If picture a square mm-hmm. and divide it in the middle vertically. Okay. And then Can I just use the picture you're drawn instead of drawing my own? Yes, but you know we have all these people hopefully that listen to us and if I don't describe it No no, I'm then... just saying <laughs> I didn't know if we all needed our own to play. No, 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 you're fine. <laughs> okay, then take your right hand side and divide that one in half horizontally. Uh-huh. And then take your left hand side and divide doesn't matter which direction, divide the left handed half in half um diagonally. Uh-huh. Okay, so now you have a square that's broken up into two triangles and two squares. Okay, well, there are all these number talks about what do we have here? Are these, are these, is this a fraction? Are these equal? Are they the same? And I just can't tell you how many teachers that this completely wigs out. They're like, I can't do that. That's, they're, it's not, it's not the same. They're not, you know, like, forget students for this point but like i've i've started to like you know show these images to teachers and they're like no we're not going there because though that is you know divide into four equal parts yeah because it's equal by area not equal by size or shape right um yeah. i mean that's not so the- i do this warm-up and i make them create it with construction paper so i give them the square and they have to cut it in half and then they have to cut that one in half. And then they have to cut it in half diagonally. Mm-hmm. And then they have to retell what we did. Right. Well, we cut it in half and then we cut each piece in half. Yeah. So are the pieces the same? And it is the most fun <laughs> when I make that horizontal cut on the diagonal ones and rotate them. Yeah. And show them that it is a square. I yeah. Every year there's just like, what? Yeah. When you cut the one of the big triangles and make it back into the small square. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I've done that too. It, yes. So tell me the language. Pretend that you're trying to convince me and I'm a, and I'm a new teacher who's like, no, that's not equal parts. Convince me. What's the language that makes this okay? Okay, go, JJ. Well, my, the one I, and I was trying to think when you were talking about the very beginning is that you took the square and you split into half. Okay. And then each half you split into half again. You didn't split into half the same way, but if it's one, we'll start with one whole object, a half of a half has to equal a half of a half. Yeah. So there's no, there's no way that you can really split it into half and then half again. So there's four, both times was, was, was half. There's no way that the pieces could not be equal. 
That's good. Yeah. I'll follow you. What if you just started with a piece of notebook paper and you cut it in half hot dog and you cut it in half hamburger and you ask if the hot dog piece and the hamburger piece are the same same area? Did you cut this in half? Is this half of a page? And you could measure it and yeah. calculate the area and show them that just like this piece of notebook paper cut in half is the same these cut in fourths but we have to be careful because the same is one of the part is one of the is some of the language that's tripping them up the same area area because that's the area model yeah yeah but it's also the same piece like it has the same name it's the fourth it's the same fraction of the whole right yeah then yeah okay I'm going to push some people, somebody's buttons this week <laughs> with this image. Maybe, maybe you wait till next week to start pushing people. Yeah, after I left math day. Good call. Okay. I feel like I really don't love math if you keep coming at me with that mess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jay, you got something to share with us today? Or do you want this to be your takeaway or is this? Well, it's longer than a takeaway, so we'll start now. Okay, go. Okay. Um, so I am doing a, a talk, a whatever part of I Love Math Day this year. Yes. I've been to I Love Math Day a few times, but always as like taking pictures or making taking video stuff. So yeah. I'm actually talking as a speaker this year. Okay. And um I I think it came up briefly last on the last episode. Yeah, we did talk about it. But talking about photography and trying to relate math to photography and you know there's all kinds of ways you could do it for like, you know, how how many pictures you're taking or, or whatever. Um, charging amount, you know, as a business kind of model, but I wanted to, I wanted to take it into like the math of camera lenses, um, and talked last week a little bit about the aperture of the lens, how big the opening is that light comes in, and um, and how that is a, a ratio to figure out how much you know how much light can come in, and changing that changes how much how much light and changes several things about it, but. I was also at a race yesterday taking pictures and started thinking about what does it mean to have a lens that's a 50 millimeter lens or a, um, or, you know, lenses that, that change, you know, the zoom lenses that, you know, a 70 to 200 millimeter lens. And what does that mean? Like, what is the, what are they measuring in millimeters? And it's kind of tricky camera. I mean, the, in a, in a camera, you measure a bunch of different things and they're measured differently, but sometimes different things measured using the same um, the same units. Like you could say a 35 millimeter camera. What What's 35 millimeters about a camera? Mm -hmm. And it is a measurement of originally when it was a film camera, the size of each frame of film on the roll. Okay. Um, and even though we don't use film anymore some people use film most cameras are, are don't use film anymore they still modeled the size of the image sensor which is the piece of equipment inside of a camera that captures the light and takes the picture they still model that after or compare it to the size of 35 millimeter film but that's different than the the measurement of the lens which that's called the focal length of a lens whether it's a 50 millimeter or or and that's the difference the distance where when light comes in the front of a lens and i don't know if you've seen like a a a very basic uh drawing of like light going through a lens and then like like the the lines of light converge to a point and then have you ever seen it like in your eye like it goes in and then the image is actually flipped upside down <laughs> would you say refraction <laughs> yeah and um so the image is actually flipped upside down on the back part of your eye where, where you read it and your brain spins it upside down. The same thing's true with a camera lens. Okay. And the distance between that convergence of light and where it hits the image sensor is the measurement of the focal length. So on a lens that is, it doesn't zoom. So a 50 millimeter lens, there's 50 millimeters or five centimeters between that point where the light converges and it hits the, the back. And so basically the shorter that distance is, the more you can see out the front of the lens. And the longer that distance is, the narrower your field of view is out the front of the lens. And it was just interesting to try to figure out, you know, what those what those numbers meant. Hmm. Um, 
and it's it's words you know as a as a as a photographer you know i use those words and measurements all the time but never really thought <laughs> what do they mean i'm What's just throwing around yeah. words i mean i understand the concepts and how it changes your pictures but i never saw what it was measuring and in a zoom lens you move that element or those groups of lenses because inside of a camera lens you know it's not a single lens there's usually like many many pieces of glass that work in conjunction to shape the image and shape the light and do all that and so it moves a a a set of um glass elements to change the focal length from 70 millimeters to 200 millimeters or whatever and then you know it also moves them much less to to focus names so it was just an interesting thought of the math behind camera lenses cool so now your challenge is how do you show that or i probably am not going to focus too much on that part for the kids yeah that was more for me because i'd figured out what the aperture and how to you know if you're going to do changing the the opening of the lens and and i'm not going to again i'm not going to go into too much detail but that's easier to visualize uh, you know right. an opening a lens and the distance and, and this yeah. but that was just i was trying cool. to i want to make sure i knew knew all the pieces and so from last week the focal point that you're talking about that's the f in the f stop the focal length not the point the point is inside the lens but the length is between the point and the image sensor that is the f stop is that over top of a number so okay. if you have a, a lens that hasn't you know you're using mm-hmm. aperture of f 2.8 it's really f over 2.8 or 50 millimeters divided by 2.8 to get the diameter of the opening um and That's so pretty cool yeah, yeah. and so it's it, you know there's and it's it's r- rounded it's not exacting because they were, right. i was you know they were given examples of math and the numbers don't come out perfect but it's it's the way they represent the different set um, spots of opening the lens. All right, it's time for takeaways, friends. Who's got one? Um, my takeaway is wheels three and four, and how do you show your thinking, and how do you solve it, and what would you do with manipulatives if I gave them to you? Yeah. And I'll give you a little survey, like how many students came to get the 31 tiles and uh-huh. how many students did a Maybe table. table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or just randomly guess and check. You know, yeah. that's going to be a strategy, too. I, sh- I should, um, when we finish here, remind me to share with you the, I made a presentation that sort of like shows the problem, if you think that would help. Okay. Um, I'll post that, too, on the show notes. Um, I'm excited to get your data. My, my... Takeaway is that next year I can do even uh, further ahead of I Love Math Day. I can do some teaching to and brainstorming with teachers on how to support their kids through this process and, and just own up to the fact that this is new for a lot of teachers and for a lot of kids and we need to support them instead of just throwing it at them and expecting them to know how to do it. Um, yeah. Because it's beneficial. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is what not you just for them. the contest, right? Yeah. But for teaching in general. Exactly. For yeah. life. Yeah. I mean, these are the kind of problems that you're going to have to attack and figure out. Yeah. So, so working further ahead on problem solving and communicating your thinking and, and supporting students, scaffolding students through that process, all of that. So next September, stay tuned for I Love Math Day episodes. On <laughs> yeah. In <laughs> September. <laughs> Oh, the teacher would be like, stop talking about it. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. All right. You we got a takeaway? Well, I do. Um, the first one was you were talking earlier about your I Love Math Day website, or Ruth brought it up. And that made me think of the the website I built for my presentation last week. And it was a great a great idea that, that you suggested. Um, and it worked well for me to organize stuff and to make resources available for people that are at the presentation so that they can go back and and get more info. Did we talk about? We did talk about that last in the last episode. But just in case you didn't listen to it, Jay and a colleague of his um, presented at a conference about using podcasting in the classroom. So 
He made a pretty great website that was sort of resources. And we're going to link that website in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. So that I can look at it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did you have another one? And then one real quick thing. Ruth threw in the big fancy word of refraction. We were talking about lenses. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. Um, Is like bending within the lens. I was whispering because when Tracy was my student teacher, that was one of the many songs that she wrote for her amazing you're right oh my gosh i just remember as your mentor teacher being like what the heck this girl is just well in camera lenses there's also a, amazing a, a facet of light called diffraction Do you know what diffraction is no that's not in my song <laughs> <laughs> well it's not th- it's it's not it doesn't change because you're going through the lens or through a, a medium of different density or, or whatever but through a narrow opening causes light to bend just a little bit like anytime like light and i don't know why i'm not a physicist but the property of going through a hole uh, an opening lens it's tiny tiny causes the light to bend just a little bit instead of go straight through and so when the when the aperture of a lens gets really small it gets not so perfectly sharp in focus anymore because the light coming through there's so little light coming through that there's always some diffraction of the light that hits right on the edge of the circle but when the circle is tiny a greater percentage of that light is bent right close to the edge than coming through the center and so it makes the image slightly less sharp or in focus all right i'm not sure what to do with that information so, <laughs> but now i know now you know <laughs> yeah all right. Well, I will see you on a run this week. Um, Tomorrow? Yep. Okay. T- Tuesday and Wednesday, but Thursday I'm taking off because okay. my race is Saturday. Can't wait. All right. Well, see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.